Welcome to the Imposter Syndrome Club. My name is Jessamy G. I am joined by my co-host, Alice Eady. Welcome, Alice. Hi, Jess. And today we have our special guest, Tony Corrales. Welcome, Tony. Hey, nice to be here. Lovely to have you. Thank you. Now, Tony, as you know, the way this podcast starts is we ask our guests to read their own bio. So without any further ado, would you <laughs> indulge us, please? I will. And I actually was listening to another episode and I can't remember her name, who your guest was, but you were having the discussion about first and third person bios. Um, I actually rewrote mine last night to be in the first person prior to hearing that because I always find it way too uncomfortable That's to read cheating. about myself in the third person. So, it's all part of our sick little game. Yeah. So I will not fall into your trap. Um, so yeah, I am Tony Corrales and I've spent the last 10 years working between online and offline marketing for not-for-profit organizations along with consulting work in digital strategy and operations um, in addition to founding um, a clothing label as well. So I've seen epic degrees of success and failure at both ends of the spectrum and have had the pleasure of working with some incredible companies and organizations, um, some that bring in millions of dollars through offline and online marketing acquisition campaigns to provide emergency relief around the world, um, all the way through to e-com companies that bring in over a million dollars a week in revenue. So in 2020, I launched the ethical fashion label No Skin, along with the Producing With Purpose podcast, which is now evolving into PWP Studios. Uh, where my team and I are providing consulting services and coming soon we'll be doing online education to share the tips, tools and inspiration to help you turn your purpose-driven side hustles into the future of ethical entrepreneurship. Whoa! Oh my God! And breathe! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quick, quick question. So you sounded really confident reading that. A lot of our guests don't, like usually it's quite a baptism of fire. Like we start the interview and it is quite a cruel little uh, idea of, of someone needing to read their uh, bio first. And I sometimes worry that it's quite unfair because I sometimes hear a little wobble in people's voices, but you sounded really confident. Uh, like, are you, were you? Oh, I'm just a bullshit artist. <laughs> Amazing. <Teach> marketing, <laughs> Alice, marketing. All right. <laughs> no, I think it's, um, it's, uh, no, I, I, I am more confident with it because I went through the process not too long ago of, um, I don't know if you've heard of the book, Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. It's no. really cool. And it basically says that when you're talking about yourself or your company, instead start talking in the words of like what your user or your audience or your customer or whatever wants to hear to solve their problems. And then it gives you a really clear definition of what you do and why you do it. And then once you've got that in place... That's why it's a lot easier. And it doesn't feel quite as uncomfortable because it's like, this is what I do. This is how it serves you. And it then kind of abstracts you as the person from like what you deliver. Yeah. Um, that and I just, I don't know, just get used to talking in front of people. <laughs> is that something you do a lot, talk in front of people? Um, I used to do probably a little bit more than I do now um, because I used to do a lot, even just a lot of client pitches and presentations and things like that. Um, and I used to do a lot of project management where, you make a lot of excuses um, and you have to explain why something is the way it is or why it isn't the way it is or why it's double the price or something like that. So you just get kind of confident in yourself and like putting something forward and sticking to it. So Yeah, nice. You, you must excuse my voice. I'm so sorry. <clears throat> I've had one of these Melbourne colds that just does not go away. So I promise I, I wouldn't be contagious anymore, but um, I just have this constant... Uh, disgustingness <laughs> happening inside my head. <laughs> um, so 
Tony, wasn't that long ago that you started No Skin, right? Yeah, it was. Um, we kind of conceptualized it just before lockdowns in 2020. So it wasn't so much a lockdown project. It was going to be a regular project that turned into a lockdown project. Um, and then we fully went live because obviously it takes a year to design and get stock of a product or whatever. We went live last April. So so, yeah. so can we just back up? So no skin. So this is when you were reading your bio, this is the ethical fashion label that you mentioned. That's right. Yeah. Can you get like, can you give me a brief overview of, of what, what is no skin? What isn't no skin? Yeah, of course. So it's, um, I guess what it, what it is, is I call it an ethical fashion label um, or you can describe it as a vegan fashion label, but then people get confused because they say, well, why aren't jeans vegan? And they are. Um, but <laughs> it came from, it really came from wanting to start something. Um, and sort of what I mentioned a little bit before we started talking today is with my business partner, Jai, when I was getting married, I was frustrated um, to not be able to find good, high quality vegan clothing, being vegan myself and coming from that background for like 15 years. Um, so finding things like nice shoes, it's like you can get kind of cheap non-leather shoes or mm. if you want to buy a suit you can get a wool suit which is really nice high quality or you can go for like a polyester cotton suit because it's like the cheap option yeah like synthetics are like the less yeah. nice feeling exactly of, yeah so it's like why i wanted something that was like nice and because i've always enjoyed like fashion and design and things so i wanted the high quality thing especially for my wedding i was like i'm gonna buy myself a nice suit i was like but i can't I actually have to get the like budget version because I can't get something that's high quality as an animal material. Um, making suits would be exceptionally hard, so we don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole, you know, the whole idea came from there. So we do footwear, we do vegan footwear. Um, but then in the clothing, we do like denim and jackets and things. We use sustainable materials because um, that's something that's, you know, important to me and has been for a long time. But again, I just felt like the whole sustainable market, the whole ethical market of clothing is about 10 years behind what it is with food now. We can go and get amazing food that's, you know, plant-based or is more conscious and it's marketed really well and it's on the shelves of supermarkets. But if you talk about vegan shoes, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, um, it's kind of like it's just not marketed very well. Mm. It's like the product might actually be really nice, but you don't feel inspired by the brand. You're not like, oh, my God, I love that brand. It's like, well, that's what I can get. So mm. we wanted to make a brand that people would love and then secondary to that, regardless of whether they're vegan or not or they care about ethical fashion, we know that we're doing the right thing while still making a brand that people get inspired about. That's really cool. And it's interesting, the comparison with food, because I'm not vegan, I eat everything, um, but my husband was vegan for 15 years he's, and he isn't anymore. But So he spent most of his veganism like in the 90s and early 2000s and it was just a completely different world and that's it you just got like whatever the one vegan option was on the menu and it yeah. was usually something pretty uninspiring or something with just the meat taken out yeah um but now even though like I don't eat a vegan diet there's plenty of vegan restaurants that I love that I'll go to that I'll specifically order from just because it's so good yeah um yeah and to see clothing follow in the same fashion, pardon, pardon the pun, um, <laughs> hey, is really interesting. Yeah. yeah. I think it's also, it's it makes sense your choice to call it conscious because I do think that there is something about define words where the definition is a definition of lack. Like if vegan is like a lack of animal products, it's, it's not about its own attributes. Yeah. It's about what it isn't. And I think that like what you're saying, and I haven't ever thought of it that way, but that does make sense where it feels like 
the non-animal option, especially clothing wise, you know, with leathers and stuff, you feel like it'll be a lesser quality. So it's, it's cool. I'm sort of saying it now and I'm like, oh God, of course, but I hadn't thought of it in those terms. And no, you've completely explained like at least the way I perceived it as well. So like the tagline of the brand is all quality, no sacrifice, because it's exactly that. It's everything that you want when you, you know, and our our clothing is not cheap because we want to make good high quality clothing, um, but you're not getting rid of anything. It's not like you're getting the avocado on toast and having to just remove the feta to make it the same product. Like, you yeah. know, we're, we're making something that's equal to or better than the counterpart, or at least that's what we're trying to do. And so I know that you both have experience in in business and in marketing, but did you have experience in fashion before you delved into this project? Um, well, I owned clothes. So yeah. that was... <laughs> Oh my God, I have fashion experience. Exactly. We are all in fashion. Um, no, I did not. And I, it's questionable whether I do now, but we... Your, um, your style looks great, by the way. This is a non-visual format, but listen to the uh, honesty in my voice. Very great oh, style. Highly, um <laughs> Highly trust that you can make good clothes. Yeah, cool. absolutely. Yeah. Well, luckily um, we have, so there's my business partner, Jai, and him and I are like kind of the marketing business side of things. And then we have a third co-founder, Ash, and she is the fashion. She is the designer. Um, and she comes from a great background of working um, for brands such as Lee Wrangler, New Denim and things like that. So she comes with a whole career's worth of experience. And we got ex- uh, extremely lucky that, you know, Jai and I conceptualized the brand or a variation of it. And then he was going to speak to her because he's an old friend of hers just for some advice. Um, but the day they happened to meet up, she'd just been made redundant because of COVID. Um, so she had kind of COVID payments on the way and the desire to not work a nine to five for a while. So she was like, yeah, cool. I'll come in and, you know, be a third part owner of the business and go from there. So we got pretty lucky that we managed to snag a professional designer. Yeah. COVID success story. Yeah. One (laughs) of the few. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then how does that dynamic then work between the three of you with the sort of different elements of experience in terms of business, marketing, fashion design? Do Mm. you collaborate on all parts of the label or, you know, is there any like tension between those things? Yeah, a a bit of both really. So it's, I'd say now after we've been working together on it for a couple of years, um, we've got to a place where we sort of understand where to trust and where to get involved. For me, I quit my job because I was kind of a bit sick of working in like operations and project management and things like that and wanted to go into something more creative. But the reality is I'm the person who's good at the spreadsheets. So that's what I have to do a lot of. And I've got, you know, I've got a lot of creative outlets and come from a background of like being a touring musician and stuff. So it's like, I I go and do my other thing to be completely creative. I'm not going to try and start designing stuff. Um, And at the beginning as well, I was like, I think we should do this. And I think we should do that. And I think we need to get these jean styles made and things. And Ash was very, very adamant that I was wrong. (laughs) Um, and was not shy about telling me, even though we'd only been working together for like a month. Um, But then I quickly learned that she was completely right. So it's like now trusting that I'll always give my input, and especially with the footwear, like I kind of help help with the designing. I wouldn't say it's any more than giving my opinion. Um, I still trust her fully, but that's it now. So when we talk about next winter, it's, okay, I'll figure everything out. We'll deal with all the logistics of it. 
go and design it and tell me why this is the right thing to do. And that's the much better way for us to work. So not to put, I mean, I know you can't speak for Ash. She's not here, but what, um, what are, what's Ash's take on skinny jeans? <laughs> so that I, I wasn't going to go down that route directly. I just get the fear. Is that what you suggested? And she was like, absolutely no. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just had this feeling. <laughs> yeah. What um, is it, boy? It just, it's time to put the skinny jeans to bed. They're done. They're it's done. Gone. They're es- done. Especially, so we're a unisex label, um, which is actually a real tough thing. And this is a massive credit to Ash as well. Um, that, you know, with our denim and things, it's designed to be unisex. She does a real That's very clever cool. job of like making it so that if you're a guy wearing it, which I am now, it can kind of sit low on the hips and it feels like a relaxed fit pair of jeans. But if you're a girl and you go a size down, you can pull them up a bit and wear it a bit more high-waisted. Um, and that just comes from years of designing hundreds of denim styles. So that's really cool. So I'm like, yeah, I think we need, I think we need some skinny jeans though. <laughs> so, absolutely not. I refuse to do it. You will thank yes, me for it. Ash. <laughs> well, but look around you. Everyone's wearing it. Nope. And by the time they came out, and honestly, it's like, even when we launched last April, our denim was the slowest selling thing for us. And I had my moment. I was like, I fucking told you. Um, <laughs> but even this, like this year onwards, and obviously as the brand has grown and more mm. people are coming across it, um, the jeans are moving a lot faster now. And it's because you go out and look around and it's like, oh, she designed exactly what is now yeah. kind of coming into the trend. If anything, they could go baggier. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I have not worn a pair of skinny jeans for about 12 months now. So she's very proud you of me. It. Congratulations. Yeah, so. Reformed skinny jeaner. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And I was wearing the skinniest of jeans as well. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And that, that sort of like fashion forecasting stuff, do you have an idea of how they, and I understand again, maybe we should have gotten Ashy in this conversation. <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, I'm fascinated by that, right? <laughs> <Is> it, <laughs> but it feels like all of a sudden, like I'm sure it's a slower build than it feels like because there must be a tipping point of when you, when you notice it, right? Like there must be a, a critical mass of people wearing baggier jeans when suddenly one day you go, where did all the skinny jeans go? Do you have insight into how that sort of forecasting stuff happens? We do to an extent. I think we're kind of lucky in a way. Um, well, it's just the way our brand operates that we are time. We go for what we would class as timeless styles. Um, so we don't really go into seasonal releases of products. So we're coming into spring, summer now. And we have got some stuff that's a bit better for warmer weather, but we're predominantly a more wintry kind of brand. Um, but what we'll do as well is we'll make a jacket, like we've got one of our kind of signature jackets, which is like a worker's jacket. When that sells out, we'll restock it. It's not the kind of thing that's like, okay, we had that, we'll whack it on sale, get it out the door and make the new style. Yeah. It's like, these are the things we sell. Now that that comes with challenges because once you get a customer and this goes into the marketing, you know, you've paid to acquire your customer, you need to release new products so that they come back and buy again so that you've only paid for that customer once. Um, and that's hard because you do need to keep then churning new products. And that's the thing we really, uh, we discuss a lot and that's where it comes into our kind of ethos as a business is how much do we want to go into seasonality and how much do we want to just provide like a staple range. Um, so that was a bit of a tangent, but basically like for us, the point being, it doesn't, it doesn't matter that much for us to be like, what's going to be hot in six weeks from now. We can think a bit more about like, yes, what is what is more of like a staple trend as in 
all right, low rise jeans are coming back in now. So good luck with that. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, I'm so upset about it. Oh, I can't I'm tell you. Really? I'm ready for this. <laughs> really? Yeah. But no? No. But the, it's the comfort. I just, I'm, I spent so many years with my butt crack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, my pants. Do you remember the whale tail? That's like exactly the, what I was thinking. And let's I've, go I've, back. I, I put money on that coming back oh, it's too. Coming back for oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you can see it as well, and it's actually easier now because if you fire up something like TikTok, you can see what like the younger generation is doing, and a lot of the time, what will happen is parts of that will then distill down into old people like me, um, because it'll you know they'll set the trends going forward. Some of that will be adopted, and as well, we've cycled through all of this, so we know what's coming, and we have to be. You know, another thing we were a bit more conscious about, and this was actually one of the discussions about the whole skinny jean thing, is in my mind, yes, baggier jeans were going to be for like people in their early 20s because they were going through that cycle. But our target market is, say, 28 to 45. Like we've got that kind of older demographic, especially in like higher priced fashion. And so will our generation adopt that style as well? So it's also picking out Yes, all right, the low rise jeans and the whale tail might be coming back in the next six to 12 months. But is that going to be what 35 year olds yeah, are wearing? That's a good point. Yeah, got you. Um, hopefully not. Yeah. <laughs> so, Except oh, me. Alice is on board. Yeah. <laughs> I, I literally, I'm four or five laser sessions into getting my tramp stamp removed. Oh, wow. And you, I feel you're like. You have to get it back. I know. <laughs> As it finally fades away, I'll just have to go straight back in and get yeah, it. <laughs> I reckon you will buy it. And they are genuinely coming back. Yeah, my mum used to always say to, to us as kids, she was like, fashion's always cyclical and it always does come back, but you can't do it if you did it the first time round. Yeah, that's that's kind of what it is. <laughs> and we'll, we'll definitely take elements back of it and you know, skinny jeans will have their day again. Don't throw your skinny jeans out. They're coming back. It's going to be a while. By the time, by that point, you might be 45 and maybe you should throw them out, but we'll see. <laughs> but um, yeah, so now going with timeless, you know, and again, I this tagline, that tagline, but another thing we have for our brand is for a lifetime, not a season. And that's kind of yeah. what we're about because, you know, we talk about sustainability in our fabrics. We use hemps and organic cottons, recycled materials, um, which is great, but the most sustainable thing you can do is not grab a pair of jeans, wear them for one season and then throw them out because something else has come yeah. along. So that's why we just try and make stuff that's going to last. Is this time. what slow fashion is? Sorry to get like buzzwordy, but yeah. like if fast fashion is the six week turnaround buying a party dress for Friday, I feel like I've heard this word. Is is this what that is? Yeah, that's basically it. Okay. So we're, we're a slow fashion okay. brand, um, which means that we don't, yeah, we don't go on sale. So when it's Black Friday, Cyber Monday, we don't go on sale. Yeah, um, good. That's so gross. No, well, that's the thing. That shit. It's um, it's it's a real gross culture of how that works. And yeah. I lived in the US for a while and went out to like a Best Buy on Black Friday just because I had to see it, and mm. I was I was glad I did, but it did not make me feel good about. Yeah you know, society as a whole. Um, <laughs> like, oh, no, we're fucked. Yeah, it's like, if this is what it's going to... Are we the bad guys? <laughs> yeah. It's like, geez, man, like, it's a microwave. Calm yeah. down. Oh. Um, but look, there's... And there's a there's things on both sides. Like, slow fashion is extremely important um, for shifting the way that we purchase and that we consume and, you know, the absolute horrific amount of textile waste that goes into landfill every day. I have my own, you know, internal conflict with... Yes, all right, we're doing slow fashion. We're trying to do it better. We're trying to do ethical fashion. But 
did the world need another fashion brand? You can even, you know, it can come down to that as well. Um, so that's, you know, it's something that we have to consider. But the best thing we can do is make things that are high quality so that when someone is done with them, yeah. they can put them into vintage stores or they can hand them down through generations. And that's always what we design is, you know, with this pair of jeans, are we doing it because it's the style of the moment or is it something that somebody will have for years to come and then it's, you know, like a classic pair of Levi's 501s yeah. you'd find in a vintage store and people will love that for years to come. I noticed something on your website as well around um, like mending tutorials or something like that. Is that something yeah. that's in the future or that you're doing at the moment? Because that's super fucking cool. It's um, something that was supposed to be done now. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I but, appreciate you know, your honesty. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, it is something that's coming soon, actually. So tomorrow we're filming some stuff around like introducing. So we try and do, a, uh, when we do new products, we try and do videos to explain like the story behind them or why they exist. And then subsequent from that will be the mending videos as well. Um, we also, as far as I'm aware, we're the only vegan footwear company that offers a six-month warranty on the footwear as well. So if anything goes wrong with it in six months, we'll have it repaired for you so that you don't just discard it, basically. Obviously, that would be a shit experience if you spent 300 bucks on boots and they were wrecked in th six months anyway. Mm. Um, but we also, you know, things do go wrong, especially with footwear. Like people thrash them, stuff can happen with them. Um, we're going to start introducing a resoling service um, in the next couple of months. We'll do any repairs. If you buy from us in our showroom in Collingwood, we can also do adjustments and things for the denim so that, you know, you know how it is as well. You buy something, you like it, you like the brand, you want it, but it never really fits right. And then you don't actually wear it. And that's not what we want to be happening. So, um, yeah, so we do things like alterations or repairs and stuff like that as well. And we'll be educating people on how to do it themselves. That's who, awesome. Who is that Creative Mornings speaker? Erin Lewis Fitzgerald. Oh, yeah, I was so just cool. thinking. Have you have you heard of Erin Erin Lewis Fitzgerald? No, I haven't. She's got a book called Modern Mending. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll I'll put you in touch with her oh, because I think yeah, cool. you you would love her. But it's it's all about exactly this and sort of teaching people. Um, modern ways of mending things where it doesn't have to be perfect and it doesn't have to be hidden. So you can use the yeah. opportunity of a, a hole or a scratch or something to put a little like embellishment on it or a patch or, you yeah, know, it cool. doesn't have to be always just sort of hiding the thing and done perfectly. Yeah. And she's got all these sort of cool oh, techniques around doing that. so great. I remember watching yeah. her talk. It's almost like a fabric version of Kintsuki when you fix the ceramics with yeah. the gold, like you make the break becomes the feature yeah cool. and I remember I think it was wasn't was she your first creative mornings talk that you hosted for N no but she was, was early on though and yeah. it was while we were still virtual yeah I think I remember attending if I'm honest because I wanted to support Jess me she was like hosting <laughs> and it was new and I was like okay cool it's like mending stuff I don't really I have a bit of a like a knee-jerk aversion to those like more crafty kind yeah. of creative stuff, which is totally my fuck up because it was amazing. Like it was so fast. Like her work mm. is super cool. Cool. I'll check it out. Yeah. 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 Nice. I'll put you in touch. Great. Um, just to sort of like zoom back out yeah. for a minute, because there's obviously one sort of core thing that permeates through all of the things that you do, which is around purpose, right? Yeah. And it feels in our um, small sample size <laughs> thus far doing this podcast, it feels like there are sort of two things that seem to be kind of antidotes to imposter syndrome. And one is around a very strong sense of identity mm -hmm. and the other is a strong sense of purpose. And I get the feeling that maybe, and you sort of 
said this as well when we were talking about your confidence in reading through your bio, um, your your comfort in doing that and confidence in doing that comes from that place of purpose. And I'm interested in the sort of consulting work that you do around purpose-led business um, and sort of how that works. And are you, excuse me, are you through that consulting helping people to find purpose or are you drawn towards already purpose-led businesses or tell us a bit about it? It's a bit of a mix and Mm. part of that is because that side of things is pretty new for me as well. And mm-hmm. the, the reality is that that came from, so it's sort of, you know, you know how these things go. They fall into place and you don't really have the broader intention of like the vision. I do now, as of recently, I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. Then I've actually just got to do it. But um, I think it came from, you know, starting the starting the fashion label was the first step. And then I started the podcast, Producing With Purpose, off the back of that. And that was always actually intended to be a podcast that was presented by the clothing label Um, and over time that's sort of become its own thing Um, but the point there as well was that if I could speak to other people who had started ethical businesses or purpose-driven businesses then I could speak to them for an hour under the guise of it being a podcast to help their brand when actually I was just trying to extract as much information as I could Um, and then also have an opportunity to speak to them and ask them questions or be like, hey, where do you get your manufacturing done? Um, So it was a little bit of a, I mean, obviously I have a massive interest in that as well, but it was a, you know, a bit of an angle. Um, But then over time, the consulting really as well was that I quit my job to do all of this and I need to make money. So starting a fashion label is not going to make you money in the first 24 to 30 years. Like that's the reality of it. So I was lucky to start doing some consulting with a friend's agency. And that was because he wanted to implement a program where they were, they're a web development agency, which is a lot of what I come from, but they wanted to do that where they had a program each year where they would um, essentially take in applications from not-for-profits who didn't have budget and then make them a website or like do something for them or do some marketing for them. So I worked with them to implement that program, which is like, okay, maybe I can start working with businesses who are more purpose-driven and try and steer them in directions of how to, like, market that intent. Cool. So, so it's more around, like, connecting with and articulating their purpose. Yeah. So, I mean, the the end goal of where it would be, so it's it's kind of taken a bit of a journey along the way. So it's going to evolve now, which is what I'm working on, into PWP Studios. Um, the goal being that we're actually going to start a brand and creative agency that services purpose-driven businesses. So for a business like mine who needs these services and needs to market themselves to a more conscious market, um, it's how we speak to them, taking the learnings that I've got from all the people I've spoken to and all the work I've done and all the research I've done really, and then assisting them in speaking to that market and getting their product across the line. Can I be like really basic for a second, but just to unpack like when we use the word purpose... Because in a way, like every business has a purpose. A lot of their purpose is just to make money under rampant capitalism. (laughs) Not give a fuck about anyone. Yes. When you use, when you say businesses with purpose, are you, are you meaning businesses with specifically a more kind of like ethical, long-term, like a so more of a social impact kind of thing or it could it literally yeah. like what if the bad guys come to you it depends how much money what they've got <laughs> <laughs> no, it really doesn't it doesn't at all it's a terrible answer um, 
But uh, yeah, I mean, but it, like it might do. Um, <laughs> no, it's, like, call me, don't call me, call yeah, me. Call me. We all get eight. No, it's exactly what you say. It means that they've got a more ethical purpose. So, um, you know, and I feel like it's a it's a whole world and a whole philosophy really that I'm exploring in myself. Um, because as you say, it's a world that is completely consumed by um, rampant capitalism. But I'm what I would class as a conscious capitalist. Like I do appreciate the opportunities that a free market provides, but I think the companies who have gone and you know made billion dollar businesses right now, for the most part, have um, proved that they can't be trusted. And I personally think that if you're at the local farmers market selling kombucha, that's awesome, and you're doing a good thing, and you're doing it, you know, because you want to do smaller scale, you want to home make it, or you want to pay people properly, or you want to use uh, more sustainable ingredients. But that's not going to change the world. Um, we need to create rivals to Coca-Cola. So it's how we can lift those businesses up to be more powerful, so that they're not they're not just serving the converted; they're serving yeah. the the broader market. Yeah. So like a systemic approach being like, given that we're operating within this context, like taking that system and, and changing that system. Exactly. And that's it. It's like, we aren't going to change the fact that we live in a capitalist society. And I don't know that I'd want to, like, I mean, it depends what angle you come at it from, but I think it's great that we've got the opportunities to do things like this and to live these kind of lives. Um, but we need to be providing alternatives now because otherwise we're fucked okay to take a <laughs> to put a pin in that <laughs> we're fucked otherwise we're fucked yeah um so so all of this was born as this idea kind of a couple of years back just pre-covid um during your wedding and and looking for clothing that would be ethical and also just stylish and yep. and cool and good to wear um, you had another life though. Like you were, <laughs> you were working, you were making money, you were paying rent. Yeah. Um, how did you think about starting something new while you were doing something else? How did you think about transitioning? And I guess that links professionally transitioning, <laughs> should I say? Yeah. Um, and, and how does that link to, you mentioned part of your, um, part of your consulting to do with like this, this idea of like helping people with side hustles or whatever, like how do you manage time and energy when you've got a whole lot of things vying for that at the same time? Yeah, it's definitely a tough one. Um, and I've been thinking about it a lot as well, because I almost feel like you've always got a side hustle, so to speak. Um, you know, now I run No Skin as a clothing label, but I'm also doing this stuff with producing with purpose. And I'm like, okay, now I want to turn that into an agency and it's, but I'm also doing you know, some, I'm doing some consulting as well, which is not that aligned, but it pays the bills. Like I'll never work with companies I don't agree with. Um, but you know, I'll work with companies where it's like, they just need some help creating an online course and I'll get in there and, you know, do that because I need to get paid this month. Um, so then that becomes the side hustle, but then is the clothing label with the main hustle or is producing with purpose. And like, at the end of the day, it's just about not getting too caught up in some of that. But obviously, if you want to create something new and you've got a nine to five, that's your side hustle. Um, but I actually had a podcast myself about this and it's almost like the misconception of what a side hustle really is, or at least how some people perceive it. Because effectively, if you're working a nine to five job and you want a side hustle, it's often because you want more money. Um, so you can go and drive Uber. That's a side hustle. You can... Um, 
you know, you can work a second job in the evenings, you can work in a cafe on a Sunday, that's a side hustle. Creating a clothing brand or trying to make your kombucha brand be the next Coca-Cola, that's a like aspirational project. It's not going to pay you. Okay. So it's not a short term, it's not a short term cash for time exchange. Exactly. It's yeah. driven by, again, to that word purpose, but like on a longer timeline yeah. You're getting paid in meaning for, yeah, the, pretty much. for the beginning part and you're kind of really hoping that at some point that meaning will also be supported with money. That's it. And there's going to come a point where you're going to then get to a, a pivotal moment, which is what happened for me. I was like, right, this is what I want to do. This provides me with more purpose, with more meaning. It doesn't provide me with anywhere near as much money, but that becomes a trade-off that you're willing to make. There's always a trade-off. Um, so in that case, it was I'm going to sacrifice, you know, a consistent salary, paid leave, but I'm going to work on this thing that gives me purpose. It gives me meaning. And if I can make my living out of this, I'll be way more fulfilled, but I need to take a step back. And I think a lot of people are very reluctant to step back, especially especially once you get past the 30 mark, <laughs> you know, it's um, mm. stepping back is then not as socially acceptable. Um, you know, downsizing your apartment is what you do when you're young or when you're old, not when you're in your mid thirties. <laughs> um, but it is if you've got yeah. a greater purpose behind it. And so that decision then was that an easy one? Like, because it seems like yes, now in hindsight, it feels easy because you're doing this thing, and it's. I mean, obviously, you're still doing other things to to make money on the side, but it's. It's a real thing. The clothes exist. You've got a beautiful yeah. website. It's it's happened. It's worked. So maybe now in hindsight it feels like the decision was easy, but I imagine it would have taken a lot of thinking and you're weighing up the risks and Yeah, there's there's different different people will tell you different things. And I actually have um it's not just a constant plug. I have an episode about this. <laughs> um, called When Is It Time to Quit Your job. Oh, amazing. When is Uh, it time to quit your job? Well, the spoiler is there's no (laughs) real correct answer. (laughs) So it's a bit of a bullshit episode, but you should still listen to it. Um, But no, it comes, it totally comes from different things. And I had, so my business partner, Jai, who you guys know, he was in my ear a lot. He was like, there's, if you go in with the right mindset, there's, you know, always money to be found. There's always things you can do. You will not regret it. Do it now. Do it now do it now. I'm a way more measured and like considered person. Um, and I still took a bit of a jump to do that and just went for it. But I understand that for other people, there's different metrics you have to look at. Um, and everyone's got different risk tolerance. There's absolutely no point doing it. Um, you're not going to serve your vision or your side hustle or your project or whatever it is. You're not going to serve it well. If you wake up every morning, terrified about paying the bills. Um, so it's all good and well to say to someone, just fuck it, go for it. You'll be fine. You might not. So just look at what you're happy risking. You know, if you've got a partner, what are they happy risking? There's no point in, you know, again, people say, if you want it enough, you'll break up a relationship for it. You know, don't be a dick. You don't need to do that. Like, that sounds like a terrible fuck. <laughs> that sounds like bad advice. Well, you know, and there's a lot of the hustle culture around things. And I, I like a lot of that. I, in, you know, engage with a lot of that content, but I feel like I can do so with, you know, with a pinch of salt. I can take my motivation from it and I can also be like, yeah, that's bad advice. Um, but that's not always the case. You know, what someone says, what I say, what you guys say, not hundred percent of what everyone says is right and gospel just because they've achieved something or done something you would like to do. So 
it comes down to your personal, you know, your personal vision, your risk tolerance, your current situation. But I'd say whatever it is that you land on and you're like, okay, this is where I should go. Do it just a bit before. (laughs) So I, you know, and everyone's will then be different. And mine might be, man, I think I can make enough money that like I can just about contribute to like the household income and we're not totally screwed but I'm going to do it just before it gets to that point because it will just give me a little bit of fire to get yeah. there as well. And if you wait until your side hustle or your project is making you, because some people will say, well, you shouldn't leave thing one until you achieve the same amount of income from thing two. But you might never be able to get there because you're not giving it the same amount of time. Yeah. Um, but it just depends. It's all personal. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because I think the... The reality is you're probably never going to feel ready enough. No. So, yeah, it's probably always going to be slightly before, yeah. you know, because you're never going to feel like, cool, like I'm 100% ready to go and yeah. do this thing. Um, and I, I totally get where Jai is coming from as well because I and I've definitely given the same advice to other people just because you've only got your own experience to go off, right, and I know how game-changing it was for me when I finally left my yeah. job um, to, to go and pursue my own <clears throat> my own business and how quickly things really took off that from that point because, yeah. you know, you're giving it the time, but it's also that mindset, mindset shift mm-hmm. of like, this is my, this is my job now. This is mm-hmm. what I do. When people um, at a dinner party ask you what you do now, that is your answer instead of like, oh, I'm working arts admin, but I'm doing, trying to do this thing on this, you know, you use yeah. all that language. Like I'm just, I'm trying, I'm starting rather than just like taking that maybe, you know, a step or two ahead of where you actually are, like maybe, maybe it is still kind of like an idea and you've started doing it. But I think once you start, I think the power of language is really significant actually, like how you talk about what you do, like it's a real thing. Yeah, Um, for sure. And you have to also do the work, like it's not the secret. You can't just be like, (laughs) I have a clothing label and then, um, you know, wiggle your nose like I dream of Jeannie or no, bewitched. Yeah. And then it happens. I haven't thought about Bewitched in a long time. Yeah, sorry, that was a very, very outdated (laughs) reference. I I do not get this reference at all. No? You wiggle your nose manually or? (laughs) Well, I have to do (laughs) Is it a manual stimulation or from inside? You're not familiar with the TV show Bewitched? No. I missed out on a whole bunch of like late 90s, early 2000s. Oh, no, no. This is 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 old, old. All right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So young. young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've never heard of it either. <laughs> My housemate, who's in her mid 20s, is watching Buffy at the moment. And I was like, oh my God, I'd be so into re watching Buffy. And she's like, oh, I'm not re watching it. I was like, oh God, <laughs> to be 26 First. years, like, imagine just meeting Buffy the Vampire Slayer now. I've never watched it. Maybe I should what? do that. What? It hasn't. Aged particularly. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought so. so. <laughs> I mean, it's not like offensive, but it's just not very good. <laughs> we, um, tangent, we went to see The Lost Boys at Thornbury Theatre the other week. Have you seen The Lost Boys? Uh, not no, seen that no. either. Oh, okay. Yeah. This, Never this, mind. <laughs> scrap the tangent. <laughs> We're just three people who've consumed completely different media. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing in common. <laughs> Damn. Um, but just just looping back to that, um, when you were speaking about that kind of transition and the idea of side hustles. Yeah. 
And it's such a, like, I have so many conflicting thoughts about this because I feel like as someone who's always freelance, I've had one job once when I was 22 for eight months and it was great. Um, But yeah, that's it. So I have felt like I've lived a life of not even side hustles, just hustle to hustle. And that's just the way it's worked. But then it feels like there's this um, like religiousness around this idea of like the hustle now, like this cult of the hustle. And I'm not at all, I'm not saying that the way you said it didn't sound like that, but I just mean in general on the internet, there's like a lot of languaging of this like, like fucking girl boss, boy boss, (laughs) everyone boss, like, you know, you know what I mean? Like um, almost like this commodification of your passion and that like everything you do has got to be turned into something. And I, I really appreciated when you were speaking about it, kind of the fact that you just like also named it and you were like, there is no right time to quit your job. Because I think a lot of people make a career from packaging really unnuanced advice about this yeah. kind of stuff. And the reality is that is sexier. Like, it's just, so, I'm like, I want someone to tell me what to do, tell yeah. me what to do. And then when someone is like, well, the thing is, there are multiple factors to consider. And I'm like, wait, no, just tell me when. <laughs> and I think the thing is, though, is you could sit there and tell someone when to do it. And whatever your personal opinion is on that, then that'll be what you tell people. But the reality is as well with the hustle culture and with everybody giving their two cents on this, you don't do it. So just because this guy on a 30 second TikTok video sounded like he had some authority and said, you know, you should quit your job when you're at your absolute rock bottom because I don't know, bullshit, bullshit, whatever. No one goes, yeah, right. And calls up their boss and quits it. They get a little bit pumped up for five minutes and then they, you know, carry on looking at cat videos, whatever it is. Or, or they were just, they were going to do whatever they were going to do anyway. They yeah. watched 20 motivational videos that day and selected, like, attentional, selected the one that just gave them the advice that they were going to do regardless. And exactly. then that was, but it's almost like reverse listening. It is. And I think, I mean, again, I say all of that, but I am, <laughs> like, my bookshelf is rammed with this stuff. I am very much like a consumer of that kind of content. But I think you get to a point as well where you you take it for what it is. And I, as I said before, I listen to certain audio books of, you know, people who re- it is rah-rah, go and, you know, smash it, boss, you know, do that kind of thing. But I put that on the way that I listen to music at the gym. If I'm like feeling in a funk about working, I'll listen to that. And it gets me ramped up the same way that I can put on some like, you know, hardcore punk music and do a deadlift set. You know, it's <laughs> it's the same thing for me that gets me motivated but it doesn't mean that I follow every word of it or believe everything of it. Um, You can only make that decision based on your own personal circumstances. That's cool framing. I really like that, that it's not, you know, following everything to the letter. It's just a source of motivation. Yeah, and some things Mm. are like, there are strategy books out there which are, you know, and online education, it's a totally different game. Like a a motivational um, guru, you know, plenty of those around. They are what they are. And then some of them will have a lot of substance and strategy. And that you can like that I buy into. I think there's a lot to be learned from people who have made mistakes or people who have done well. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, there's a difference between there's a difference between strategy and motivation. Mm. Mm. That stuff is so oh, it sometimes breaks my heart how poorly, like, or how badly packaged self-help is as a genre because it is such a gift. I mean, there's a lot of shit there as well, but there's a lot of shit anyway. 
but there's so much quality thought that's gone into just how to live a life but then it's packaged in these books where it's like a shutterstock photo of like a sunset over an ocean and it's just cringe and it makes it there's such a I almost have such an aesthetic resistance (laughs) to that but it's such a gift like to actually to think through these things with people that you trust and to kind of pick and choose the tools that serve you yeah and I think it's so this I mean we're delving now in something that I have a whole you know, other yes, thought process on. <laughs> um, because it's a tough one because on one hand, it's like I like to do speaking events. I like to get out and speak. I like to do podcasts and tell people this is my view. This is what I've done. You know, I want to further position myself into that market and into that realm. You know, I'm working on creating courses and educational resources for people so that they can, you know, follow their purpose and basically turn their side hustles into the future of ethical entrepreneurship. Um, But at the same time, I also get frustrated with myself because I'm not superhuman and I can't work 20 hours a day and I'm not Elon Musk. And that's conflicting. It's like, I know it's, you know, I know that a select few people can operate in that way, but it's still, I still self-impose massive amounts of pressure on myself. And I think that's, you know, coming all the way back around to it is that's the imposter syndrome that I struggle with the most is I don't have a problem being in any room and, you know, having a conversation or getting into a manufacturing agent's room and having a conversation about a clothing brand, even though I've worked in it for a year, that's fine. That doesn't bother me. But getting to 10 in the morning and not having done three hours of work makes me feel like I'm an imposter in trying to be an entrepreneur. That's the struggle. Um, But it's all self-imposed because that's that comes from consuming all that content even though I value it and it's what's got me to where I am it then is also my massive back of mind source of stress it's like you haven't had your ice bath and you haven't done your meditation and you haven't gone for the jog and you haven't done the resistance training and you haven't meditated and you haven't done all the things you're like fuck I guess I just don't want this enough exactly and that's what and that's what it comes down to and you know, getting deeper into that world is I spent seven years before I got a real job. I spent seven years living in a van as like a touring musician. That was what I did there. Um, and I look back now and I was young and I hadn't consumed all of this content and hadn't looked at things in this way. And I think, well, maybe if I'd wanted it enough, I would have been able to make a career from that. And I did want it. I just didn't work hard enough. So then like that nags on me now. It's like, well, if I feel like that, will I look at this in 10 years and think, yeah, you didn't work hard enough. And that's an extremely hard thing to put on yourself. Oh, there's so many layers to that because it's like maybe, I mean, I don't know, I, I wasn't watching your band tour, but like maybe you didn't work hard enough. Maybe thinking that you didn't work hard enough is a way of feeling like that outcome was in your control where in so much in like music and arts, like that whole context, like, there is so much luck of course there's talent oh, and work huge amounts but, of but you know what I mean it might also be a way of like feeling more ownership over the outcome and maybe it also Probably just is. was like you most bands don't make it oh, and, like, and that's yeah and that is the reality and I've I kind of had a realization and I've talked about it a lot recently that if you look at what it is to be in a band it's basically you start this thing where you get to show people your art and you hope that they like it and then you hope that they spend money on it. And then 95% of people will fail. 3% of people will scrape by. 1% of people will do quite well. And 1% of people will kill it. Mm. 
So now if you take away the music and find what the closest thing you can do to that is, start a fashion label. <laughs> I'm like, cool, I've done or, it great. Or a restaurant, again. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> like, great, I've just done it again. Like, <laughs> so. Cycles. What, um, what kind of band, punk band? Yeah. Cool, what were you called? Uh, I was in two. I was in one called The Exposed and one called Sharks. Um, <laughs> Sharks is yeah, a great Sharks name. Cool. So, yeah, that was a... That was, a, it literally feels like a different lifetime, but a lot of that, um, and you know, whilst I say, I don't think I worked hard enough, like we worked incredibly hard and a lot of my ability to sell and to market and to do things like that all came from being in a band. So it's like, I never went to university, but that was my like education on how to, how to tap into a market and how to give people what they want basically. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I wasn't there, but uh, one could argue if you were successful, you know, you were doing it for seven years and you were living out of a van touring around. That's, that's pretty hard work. I imagine. Yeah. 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 And it's more than a lot of people get to do. And I like, you know, I did, I have some, you know, cool magazine cuttings to show for it, that kind of thing. Yeah. Cool. Um, So yeah. Like, and you can also look at it that way as I was able to quit my job and do that for a while or, well, I say quit my job, like I was working in a, in retail at the time and like, but I was able to go and just do that full time for a couple of years. Um, you know, we did some really cool achievements. We went like, you know, we toured through 50 states of the U S doing that. It's like, that's so much more than most people would get to do. Um, then when I quit playing in that or doing that, I got really into jazz because I didn't want anything to do with the punk scene. And I used to sit there and look at like these incredible musicians, like guys who actually know how to play their instruments, not punk musicians. And you think like they play in front of 20 people every week. And it's like, we did so much more than that. And they are so much more talented. And that's when you realize there's just no justice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, oh, I feel honestly, there is another entire podcast in in unpacking unpacking that. I feel like the punk scene is somewhere where so much of my identity came out of Uh, growing up in the punk scene. But I also feel like I did have like a swing in the other direction post-punk rehab for a few years. I think after about 23, I was like, I cannot touch this for a while just because there there was so much romance I guess around the idea of self-destruction that's like based into that and kind of coming off the flip side of what we were just talking about like I think like finding it's so cheesy but like the four-hour work week the Tim Ferriss book and just being like oh there's like whole communities of people where it's cool to kind of like not be miserable and like (laughs) want your life to be nice Uh and I was like why how do I how do I balance these two things and I feel like only now in my mid-30s finding like a synthesis of those, like that creative chaos punk energy in like a ecosystem that is like a kind and sustainable and like nourishing. But um, yeah. It's a hundred percent. That's the way. It's such a weird environment. And again, like I did a different podcast and someone said, like, have you always been into fashion? Um, And at first I thought, no, I mean, it was just you know, I always kind of, I've always liked clothes. I've always liked, you know, I've liked fashion. But I thought actually like all of those years sitting in the back of the van with like dental floss and a needle sewing patches onto your jacket, <laughs> yeah. like spending an hour and a half putting a mohawk up, like <laughs> that is, it was massively revolving around mm. fashion. Like there was, you know, God forbid we ever wore shorts to play a show. Like that was just <laughs> unacceptable. So it was like, I've always had an interest in mm. fashion. It was just a different yeah. kind but it's the same. I had the same thing that 
I wondered if it was somewhat like conflicting or damaging that a lot of punk music can be quite um, self-deprecating or kind of miserable or like frustrated. And I like being angry because that's when I feel motivated. But it's also like, it kind of drags you down a little bit as well. And I was the same. I needed to then, I was like, oh man, if I grew up listening to hip hop, would I have always just been stoked on like <laughs> killing it? Whereas, uh, just like fucking making bangs. Yeah. Like, getting those dollar bills. Fucking bitches. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh man. Instead you're like, oh, my girlfriend broke up with me. Exactly. I'm going to go skateboarding. Exactly. Yeah, that was my entire yeah, life. Until sorry, that time. is me. That's 100% me projecting my shit. <laughs> no, that, that is exactly what it is. Um, I've wondered the same thing. So Yeah, so it's a, I had that same thing. And now like I actually, if I'm it's a tough one because again if I'm like at the gym or something I still crank out that kind of music it's still what I love and I play in another band now because I couldn't stay away for too long um but if I'm trying to get like into the zone of working or if I've like got a lot I want to get done that week I do kind of flip side it and I will listen to music that's kind of more positively minded a lot of the time or I'll go into like the side of punk that's more political as well because then you get a bit of motivation from that I find it really interesting, and again, this is probably like a, a whole other episode we could do on this too, but those sort of scenes that are really sceny, you know yeah. what I mean? Like it's a real thing and the sort of um, invisible rules and structures that exist around yeah. that, who's in, who's out, what's in, what's out, what you are yeah. and aren't allowed to do or say, particularly um, around things where a lot of it is based on what you what you can't do, like, you know, sort of um, <clears throat> like hardcore straight edge worlds, that yeah. sort of a thing. It gets like very, very intense. And I think often things that are that are a quick, at a quick glance meant to be like inclusive and like against the rules have so many rules and are really oh, yeah. exclusive. <laughs> it's, it's the weirdest hypocrisy. Mm. Um, and the punk scene is the absolute worst for it mm. because it's like, oh, look at these fucking posers who like, you know, buy all these brands because they want to look cool. Your mohawk's shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, come on, like, you know, you're not wearing the right patches or you've got the wrong band painted on you. It is the worst. But it was the same thing. Like I never knew when I was 18 or whatever, I was like, man, how do you know what to wear if it's not related to the music genre that you listen to? It's such a like directing thing of what you do. Um, and actually coming out the other side of that is is a little bit strange, but also really um, inspiring as well because you then start listening to these other bands and start listening to other things that before it was like, can't listen to that, that shit, even though you had no idea. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty – I do see some of, like, the people in the punk scene that, you know, and if there's anyone in that scene who's listening now, they're going to be like, this guy's a fucking poser. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I see, you know, I see a lot of people in that scene who are, like, in their 50s and because obviously it's been going for years – and they're still in that mindset. And I actually find it a little bit sad as much as I love that scene more than anything in the world. Like it is still, you know, what I have so much of like my youth founded in to live your entire life, not wanting to give another band a try because it's not punk is extremely closed minded, which is the opposite of what the whole subculture is supposed to be. Exactly. As you say, it's really bizarre. Um, but without that, like, it gave me a lot of my political opinion. It was probably because of the punk scene that I went vegan when I was, like, 18, back when it wasn't a common thing to do. Um, it was what 
got me involved with organisations like PETA, the animal rights organisation, which was then where I got my first job. So, Oh, your first job was at PETA? Yeah, that was. um, Because, and this is like... That's awesome. Mine was at a chicken shop called Legs and Breasts. Wow, we have the yin and yang. I mean, Peter's pretty cool, but legs and breasts much. So many questions about that. Oh, my God. Sorry. Go on, Peter. No, no. I think think there's another tangent we need to go on. What happened in that chicken shop? Oh, my God. It was was a pretty stock standard chicken shop, but um, there were um, a remarkable amount of large-chested young girls who oh work my there. God. Was it legs, legs and breasts? Like legs and... Yeah. It, it, yeah. There's no ampersand. It's just legs the and breasts. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no further questions. Yeah. And I worked there for a really long time too from like, I don't know, how old are you? We can get a job, 14, nine months from 14 to... Like I'd finished high school and I was still working there. 14 to 18 or 19. Oh, God. And was it like every day there's like the same lecherous old dude who comes in and is like, mm, I'd like your thermos. <laughs> Just to be clear, it wasn't like Hooters. It was like Nando's that- but with like better marketing. <laughs> okay, okay. See, I, I was seeing in my mind it was like it wasn't as high market as Nando's. It was like the local chicken shop yeah. like kebab place yeah, yeah, yeah. but everyone's dressed like they work at Hooters. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it might have been more successful, but um, the guy who who owned it when I first started working there changed hands about halfway through. He was um, he was crazy. He was actually really good at what he did. Like he loved chicken legs and breasts, <laughs> and legs and breasts. But he was a, like he was a bit of a creep, obviously. Yeah. Loved um, chicken, but he did though. Like he really did. I'm not even joking. Like people would come in and he'd get excited, like, "Have you tried this thing?" And like make a extra Have you tried shit. chicken? Have you tried chicken? <laughs> Do you know about chicken? Have you heard the word of the chicken? <laughs> it was like that though. And he was so into it. But then he was also um, a, a bit of a creep and a compulsive liar. He told one of our managers that he was getting knighted. <laughs> <laughs> because of his dedication to legs and breasts. Because of his dedication to chicken. Now apparently he's like, oh, because of all of this charity work that I do that we like know nothing about and had never seen him oh do. I yeah. love it when Jessamy tells stories of her old bosses. <laughs> Shit gets so weird. I've had so some pretty creepy. good ones. How to know when to quit your nine to five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, one could say there's a direct correlation between all my crazy old bosses and the reason why I have not had a job in other than for myself in the I'm last 12 years. Knighted. Also, that's such an easily verifiable lie. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> It's so, so strange, isn't it? Like I don't know what in him was like, this is a fine thing to say that people are just going to be like, yeah. Yeah, then we cool. all called him Sir Gary behind his back. <laughs> oh, my God. And his name was Gary. His name was Gary. Sir Gary. Yeah. But it was actually an awesome job because every like all of the kids that worked there were all at high school and everyone got their job through someone else that already worked there. So most of us were all buddies. You never had to start earlier than 11. You never finished later than 9. And it was in the area where all of our mates hung out anyway. So like everyone would be hanging out at the front, just like, you know, skating and smoking ciggies and you could just go out there on your break and join in for a bit and come back. Had the world supply of fried food at your fingertips. 
It was actually like an ideal high school yeah. job, despite the creepy it name sounds, and the weirdo boss. It sounds like you're recruiting. <laughs> yeah, because no, I'm kind of sold. Yeah. <laughs> I love how this started off about a podcast about like an ethical, conscious brand of clothing that also happens to be vegan, and we've we are now recruiting for legs and breasts. We've gone fucking off piece. You will yeah. be entirely unsurprised to know that it does not exist anymore. <laughs> However, however, the what vegan does version exist, of legs and breasts is coming soon. Hey! <laughs> he saved it. He brought it back. <laughs> Nugs and hugs. <gasps> Yeah, that's cute. Yeah, definitely getting knighted for that one. Yeah. I mean, you're British. You're like yeah. halfway there. Yeah, exactly. Totally. I just have to knock on the door and ask. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I've heard that's how it works. Yeah. So um, I don't know how we're doing sort of time-wise, but just to kind of like. Somehow <laughs> get back. Whoa, I'm going to try like put a bow on that. In fact, I'm not even going to try to put a bow on that, but just to kind of like close on this idea of um, you were speaking you were speaking about kind of like the imposter syndrome of not feeling like you've gotten enough done somehow in your day. Yeah. Um, and I'm linking it back. This is a tangent, but my sister gave me shit that our podcasts are not enough about imposter syndrome. So I'm glad you <laughs> okay. mentioned that. I was like, yeah, Grace, <laughs> we covered it. We said the words. Yeah, it's in there. <laughs> Tick that box. Um but in terms of like just like your actual like work day and you're mm. saying like having been someone who is really interested in self-development, in leadership, in self-management. Yeah. Do you have any any practices or tools or tips that for you have like have yielded disproportionate results in terms of your life? Yeah, it's it's a good question because I've lived by so many, you know, methods and approaches because I'm one of these people who are like, I love I love making the plan. Don't always love doing the plan, <laughs> mm. but you know, that's, that's how a lot of people, that's yeah, it's what happens. It yeah. comes in a lot. Um, and I can, you know, I can feel kind of accomplished by setting out this plan that's going to happen because it's like, yeah, I'm all over it. I'm an organized person because I like being organized. Um, but what I found actually the best thing there's two things that I do and I don't always live by it because again, no one always lives by the things that they preach. We all fall into the traps of just living life. Um, but the two things I do and they kind of work together is I don't make plans now for like for the month of September, I'm going to do all this stuff and I'm going to get up at 6am every day and I'm going to do the meditation and the walking. I do try and do all of that stuff because it does make me feel better and it does make me feel more motivated. Um, but I actually do the night before I'll spend 20 minutes before I go to bed making the plan for the next day. And that's as far forward as I really go because then you have you will still sometimes get derailed. But I know that today I've got to be here and do this. So if I try and have one of these things where it's like, I don't take meetings or do things that aren't focused work between 11 and 2, oh, well, I fucked it. Because yeah. I, this is what time this was and that's great. And this is more valuable than me sticking to my regimented bit of focus time. So instead last night I'll make my plans for the day um, you know, if I know I'm going to be out or if I do that and I've just got home from like having an impromptu beer and I got home at midnight, I'm not going to tell myself I'm going to wake up at 5.30. It's unrealistic. I don't want to fail the day the minute I wake up. So I'll set that forward and then create four things every day that I have to get done. And that's it. Because if you do four things every day that actually move the needle, like this is one of my things for today, come and do this, tick it off. Cool. I've got to like, you know, drop off a um, wholesale order on my way back. That's two things. If I get that plus my other two things done today, it was a good day. 
Um, so set that the day before and then that you'll be surprised. I don't know the math of it, but like, well, that's like 13, 1400 things a year that you would actually get done. Um, if you do four meaningful yeah. things every day. Yeah. Less, less, do less. Yeah. Do, do, do less, less, but in a day and more in a year. Yeah, pretty much. Like it's totally true. And it's said a lot, but you know, you overestimate what you can do in a month, but you underestimate what you can do in a year. Yeah. Um, mm. And that basically gets you through. I really love that as a plan, like the, the because I'm not a good long long term planner, and yeah. also I'm very easily sucked into the exactly that. Like September is going to be the month of blah blah, and I'm going to do this yeah. and that, and then invariably something happens and it knocks you off, and then you get that feeling of like, well, I fucked it up now. Yeah, and again, like entirely self imposed. No one is checking this. Yeah, oh, 100%. <laughs> but you still get that feeling of like, oh, I've let myself down. Blah blah blah. Yeah, but um. That feels super practical and manageable. Yeah. And yeah. write your goals every day. That's the other thing as well. And again, mm. I don't do it every day. I forget. But I try and do it every day. Um, and, you know, to me as well, goal setting is a huge thing. Um, again, it's not an uncommon thing, but make your goals 10 times what they actually are and, and always write them as if they're actually happening. And that was the biggest pivot I made that made my goals then feel better um, because, you know, I'll write something like, at the, I don't know, I've got 50 episodes of my podcast out, for example. But if I write, I have, I've released 500 episodes, then I'm like, shit, I got some work to do. <laughs> and it's like. And you'll actually rewrite the goals day, well, daily-ish, like re to reconnect with where you're going. Yeah, like, because now the difference is, compared to like my goals last year or whatever, is I could sit here now and completely recite them off and Occasionally what I do once every week or two weeks maybe is I'll write my goal and the implication if I don't achieve it. So, um, and sometimes that's pretty, it can be, the first time you do it is pretty full on. Yeah. It's like, you know, for me, I want, um, I want our clothing business to make, um, to make $200,000 a month in sales. That's the goal that I put into place. Obviously it's like, that's the 10X goal. And the implication for that is, if we don't achieve it, then I haven't achieved the job of trying to get people to move away from wearing leather. So it's like, well, now I understand why I'm doing it again. And it all comes that to the purpose. So now I know, you know, I know the 10X goal. I write it as if it's present because it actually makes it feel more achievable. You write 10X goals and then it seems really far away. But then when I write it out, like I do all of these things, I'm like, I could see myself one day writing that this is the life I'm living also, um, it's exciting. Like it's, it's a thing exciting. to be excited about. Like yeah. if your goal is like too achievable, it's ironically going to be harder to achieve because like why the fuck would you get out of bed to do something really uninspiring? Exactly. And it makes you think differently. So let's say, for example, you wrote your goal and it's like, I want our podcast to get um, 50,000 monthly listeners. Maybe, maybe it already does. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what sure. I mean. But you know, and whether whatever that is, but it's like it's like our podcast gets fifty thousand monthly listeners or five or whatever it is. And then you look at that and it's like, well, this is the goal. This is what I want it to do. And today I had one of my four things I was gonna do was gonna be to, you know, email this person and ask them to listen to it. And it's like, well, that would have got me one listen closer to fifty thousand. Mm. Is that moving the needle enough? Is that task then actually necessary? Because does it serve it? Is it tangible? Is there something I could do instead that gets me to 50,000, not five? 
And so are you, when you write out your goals, does your tomorrow planning come after that? Do you have to do the two at the same time or? No, I write, no. I write the plan. So the structure, if I do it perfectly, and again, I don't because I'm human. Sure. Um, but the structure is that I would sit down and I'd written my goals in the morning. And then I have, when I finish writing my goals on the bottom half of the page, I write, today I got closer to my goals by, and then I leave that blank. So then I come back to it that night and I write the things I did that got me there. And sometimes I'm like, I did fuck all. <laughs> and it's like, cool. All right. It happens. And like, but at least you see it for what it is. But you see it and you think, man, I was busy today and I did all of this stuff, but none of that served my goals. Mm. And that was the thing that I found is like, again, another episode I recommend you checking out <laughs> is how to be effective, not busy. And that's what I try and do more of because to me, especially coming from a nine to five in an agency where the longer you sit there, the better you are. Mm. I was very much and still am ingrained in the thing of if you're not working, you're not doing anything, but actually going for a walk for an hour and strategizing how you could get out your podcast to another 5,000 people is way better than sitting there and like trying to find a new piece of music to use at the beginning of the intro, like which one's more effective. Mm. Um, so I'll write what I did today to get closer to my goals. Then I'll do my tomorrow planning with my goals always in mind. And then in the morning, write them out with a cup of tea while I sit with my cat. Nice. I love this. Yeah. This really resonates with, you know, um, regular listeners to the podcast will know that I've had a like incredibly unsuccessful experience with journaling or any, (laughs) basically any practice that's going to be good for me that you're meant to do on a daily basis. I'm really fucking terrible at keeping up with. I've tried them all. Yeah. Right. But this, um, I know there's something about the like practicality of this and how they like weave into each other and the like, um, the like aspirational excitement about writing yeah. those like really big goals. There's something that sort of like almost taps into that sort of like imagination play kind of mindset yeah. that makes it feel like fun and big yeah. and shiny rather than like, oh, fuck, I've just got all of these things to do and it doesn't feel like it's ever going to happen and how am I going to get through all of these things? Yeah. And I love I've, it. I've tried so many and I've gone down the route of like, um, and it comes from like years working in project management where everything is really regimented. And I've tried doing the like every 15 minutes of my day, this is what I'm going to do. Oh my it God, does not work. It's so stressful. Just hearing that <laughs> makes me so anxious. Yeah, but that in my mind, that's how I want to operate. Yeah, but wow. then I, I can keep it up for a little bit of time. And don't get me wrong. If you map out 15 minutes and what you're going to do or hours of every day and you execute that, you will do really good stuff but you cannot sustain it. And if you can, fair play to you, but I can't. Well, also I suppose it depends on like that practice is neither good nor bad, whatever it is, what it is, but it depends on whether that person is doing the work to take a step back to what you were speaking about, but connecting those activities, those 15 minute busynesses with something bigger, or are they replying to a bunch of fucking emails that don't matter? That's it. And I've, and that's fully what it is. I used to write, I am a hundred percent one of those people, which I think a lot of people are that you write your to-do list and you'll put things on there. Sometimes you've even done one of the things. It's like, oh, I need to get back to that person. Write that down. Tick it off. Yeah, it's give like, yourself a little win. Yeah, like yeah. you want to do that. And that's great. And for some people, that is at, that's fully how they have to operate. And that's great. But for me, like writing down my to-do list and be like, oh, I need to email that thing back. And I need to do that. It's like I don't include admin tasks now in 
my four things and I keep it to four because they're always written on my phone and I don't do all of them every day, but I know that like sometimes I will get there at nine o'clock at night and I had to do this one thing. It's like I might have to lock in this guest for a podcast because I know that is going to move the needle. But for some reason, my brain is weird and human and it goes, that would take five minutes. And the inbox has been like the, the email has been there for two days. I just haven't replied to it. And it's like, but it's nine o'clock and it's like, I can tick off my fourth thing of the day if I just do it. And then it's done. And then I feel great because I've done the four things. And I would say the four things, try and do them with the intensity. If you know that you've got to take your pet to a vet appointment that afternoon and you know that it's non-negotiable. <laughs> oh like God. if your cat's sick or your dog's sick and you need to take them to the vet that afternoon, it doesn't matter what's in your calendar. Yeah. It doesn't matter what's on your to-do list. You'll fucking do it. So imagine you've got that in the afternoon and then you'll work with that intensity in the morning and then the rest of the day is yours and you can go and have like hang out with your happy cat. I'm a cat person. In case yeah. you, <laughs> you picked absolutely the right um, image of urgency for the, for us. Like the yeah. second you say the word vet, Jason and I are both like, oh my God. Yeah. Like, that's it. So yeah, just make sure that you get the stuff done. Yeah. And that's it. Sorry, bit of a long explanation. Oh my god, we love it. Like anything, the more granular, uh, like we can nerd out on that forever. Yeah. It's so interesting to me hearing how people manage their time because it's not just time management. It shows how you think about your life and your values, yeah, and it's it's fascinating. Oh, well, I'm yeah. glad it was valuable. Yeah, oh, in, incredibly practical and useful advice. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm like excited to try. <laughs> Give it a try. Let me know how it I, goes. I will. I will. Absolutely. We're probably around about wrap up time, but maybe mm-hmm. just as a nice little like ending. Um, obviously for you, your purpose is quite clear. You know what it is. So doing those activities around goal setting and, and yeah. stuff is, is easy. Do you have any advice for people who are maybe unsure about what their purpose is and how they might go about finding purpose? Um, yeah, it's, I don't know that I have any like kind of pre-packed advice, sure. um, but I'm sure I can find something along <laughs> yeah. the way um, because it, you know, it comes in a lot of the time and also as well acknowledge that your purpose changes. Um, mm. So it's okay as well to be, I'm, I'm fully one of these people that I get obsessed with things. And then if it's out of sight, out of mind, I'll forget about doing it. Like I, this is, I'm getting around to the point, but, um, you know, I, I played ice hockey for years cause I moved to Australia and started playing ice hockey. Cause that was a logical thing to do. Um, but it was cool. And I did that for like four years and then it was like, I was obsessed with it. I was playing three times a week. I'd be watching YouTube videos on how to improve. I'd be training at the gym to improve. And especially when I worked a nine to five, that was a big focus of like what I wanted. And I knew that it would never, you know, it's, I'm never going to be a professional of it. I'm way past that and way not good enough, but I had the passion of it, of someone who was like driving for it. So embrace that and stick with it and go with it. And then through COVID, like I wasn't playing anymore and I was like, well, it's fine. I'll still keep training for it and still keep, I just got out of it and I haven't even really got back into it like I still play now and again but it's it's not my priority focus now all of this stuff I do now has totally pushed that out of the way and I think it's just about acknowledging at the time what excites you and focusing on that don't worry about whether it's going to be financially beneficial don't worry about whether it's going to change the world like if what you're passionate about at that point is playing ice hockey at an amateur level embrace it and give it 100% because there are a lot of people and the people listening might be in that case where they don't have anything that they feel that level of passion about. 
that is fine as well. But if you get something that gives you that bit of a spark, it doesn't matter what it contributes to. Double down on it because that's when you feel massively self-accomplished. I love that piece of advice. I think we couldn't end on a better note. Cool. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you, guys. Oh, thank you so much, both of you. Yeah, this is fun. <laughs> thank you, Tony, for being here. Yeah, really, it's so it's just so much fun to get yeah. to open up your skull and look inside your brain. Yeah, yeah. it's a little bit terrifying. I know it sounded weirder <laughs> out loud. But I, just, I committed to that image. Sure. <laughs> and and just to sign off, Tony, where can people find you? Um, you can find stuff for me on at Producing with Purpose on Instagram. Um, which has actually been a little bit like I took a little bit of time away from it while I was focusing more on no skin, the clothing business, but I'm ramping that back up now. And of course then at noskin.co, which is the clothing label as well. Does no skin ship internationally? It does. Okay. Yeah. We have quite a few international listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Alice is just referring to her family in South <laughs> Africa, I think. <laughs> it's my sister. Yeah. <laughs> Thank uh, you so much, Tony. Thank you, Alice. Thanks so much. Thanks both of you. Appreciate Bye. it. Bye. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Imposter Syndrome Club. Please follow us wherever you find your podcasts. And if you're feeling extra kind, rates and review. Or if you got any insights or value from this, share with a friend. You can also find us on Instagram at ImpostorPod or online at ImpostorSyndromeClub.com.